Hello. We, I don't think we have to start for um, one minute, but um, I'm just grateful that there's some people back. <laughs> I just wanted to say that out loud. So grateful that there's people back here. Yes, to everybody who came back, thank you. This is a hard sell. This is not like <laughs> laughing fun in the park and sex. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's work, so I appreciate you're here. Um, okay. We're going to start with the serenity prayer. Yeah. We're going to start with the serenity prayer. Okay, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Amen. So we are on page uh, 26. Um, um, actually, the bottom of 25. That's where we are. So um, when um, it says... In the middle of 25, it says, the, the paragraph that says, the great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences. Now, again, Roxanne told you earlier that when we talk about spiritual experiences, today we use um, the term spiritual awakening. So, But it says here, the fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences. And then there's a little tiny asterisk, which means there's some work to do. And there's a fully explained appendix, too. And that's found if you have a fourth edition. I don't believe it's different in any edition, but on page 567 in the back of your book. So if you have um, a big book, if you would please go to the back of your book to appendix 2, we're going to read the spiritual experience in its entirety. 567. And it's actually different if you have a different edition. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, if you have a, um, if you have a different edition... 567 is if you have a fourth edition, but again, it's the second appendix. So spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in the book, which upon careful reading shows that a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among among us in many different forms. Yet there is true yet yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this um, conclusion is erroneous. And the the part that this was written, uh, an appendix is um, as an addition to a publication that per, that is clarifying. So the clear for to offer clarity about the spiritual experience slash spiritual awakening. This book, this um, appendix was produced in the second edition because people, when they read it, when they read the first edition, thought that they had to have a white light experience. So that's what this ex, uh, appendix is for. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. So what they're saying is, don't panic. It's okay. If you didn't get a white light experience, if you didn't have a burning bush, if Jesus didn't come down from the mountaintop and talk to you. Don't panic. And then going just fast forward to the middle of the next paragraph, it says, he, um, 
he he finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life. And basically, he's, what he's saying is that people don't realize that they're being transformed by God. They are being changed by God just by working the steps. And he doesn't realize it, but his people, the people around him realizes, realize it. Right, and it says here, most of our experiences are what the psychologist Williams James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. And again, quite often the friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. Um, and then the next paragraph, most of us think this awareness is a power greater than ourselves, is this essential spiritual experience. Our more religious member, members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any compulsive overeater capable of honestly facing his problem in the light of our experience can recover provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. So basically, that, well, that was put in the big book to, to explain to us, look, any, any experience that you have with God is a workable. You have to find a God you can do business with, whether it's the white lightning kind that Bill had or the slow educational variety. You just have to find a God that you can do business with. And on the next um, page, so 26. 26. Um, oh. he's, he's, so, yeah. So We're, we're going to go. talk about Dr. Young here because we, we just want to give you a little history of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and this book and the information. Um, and this is, this is how it was explained to me that Dr. Young told Roland Roland told Ebby, Ebby told Bill, Bill told Bob, Bob told someone else, and someone else told me. And that's, that's how this program works. That's how, that's how this information gets transmitted. They sat down and they shared, and, and that's how it started. It started with Dr. Young talking to Roland. And basically, Roland was a guy who was rich. He, his dad, he was a drunk. And his dad paid for him to go and see Carl Young. And the, um, re the treatment of the day was a year. So he went to, in Carl Young's hospital for a year, being rehabilitated for, alcohol and, for alcoholism, and he drank within a couple weeks after getting out. Now, if Carl Young had been my doctor, I would have totally rocked it. But he wasn't. And, um, and so Roland finally went back to Carl Young and said, What the heck? Carl, what's going on? And uh, I, I just drank again after paying you thousands of dollars to get me sober. And Carl said, yeah, I, uh, I kind of knew that would happen because the only, the only solution, there's a really famous letter that's in, uh, World Serv that's in, the, um, in New York in the um, office of AA in New York, and it's a, a letter from Carl Young to Bill Wilson. And he talks about the word spirits and... How he how we need the spirit to com to combat spirits right spirits you alcohol anyway 
Um, so Roland gets sober through the Oxford group because basically Dr. Young tells him, yeah, there's no hope for you until you get a relationship with God. Right. There's no hope. Lock and key. Lock and key. God. So he uh, goes back to church, and he gets, he gets a relationship with God, and he 12-steps Ebby, who later 12-stepped Bill. So that he wanted us to know that Carl Jung gave credence to this book. Just the fact that somebody had had a, a relationship with Carl Jung gave a lot of credence to this book. And on page 27 in the center paragraph, it says, He said to the doctor, Is there no exception? Yes, the doctor replied. There is. Exceptions to, exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, every once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. We just read those back on, back on page 567, the second appendix. To me, these occurrences are a phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men and men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. So you got to take all your old ideas and you got to change them. you got to be willing to, I mean, your, your old ideas got you here. That's what I was told. Your way got you here. Why don't we try a new way? And the new way is the God is God's way, and that with God change God can change me. I can't produce these changes on our, on my own. Um, and then go to the next page, which is twenty eight, and the um, second paragraph. We seemed at first, uh, it, this seemed, I'm sorry, what seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us, or if you prefer, a design for living that really works. And then in the next paragraph, just about halfway down, um, a multi, this, it, the varieties of religious experiences, which, by the way, is this big, fat, giant dictionary looking of a book. I own it. I never read it. I, I said, oh, I'm going to read it. I was so on fire for recovery. I'm going to read it. And I, got, I thought, I don't have time My to read that. My husband read it, though. I don't have time to read that. I think her husband's the only person I ever read it. But um, Williams James writes this book called The Varieties of Religious Experiences, where he indicates a multitude of ways in which men have discovered God. We have no desire to convince anyone that there is only one way by which faith can be acquired. Again, we don't have a monopoly. We do not have a monopoly. But we're saying... Faith is what you need. A God is what you need. Get one. Yes. And then on page 29, further on, clear directions are given showing how we recovered. I think that it's important that you, if you want to, underline clear-cut directions. That's useful. Everybody goes, well... There's suggestions. No, these are directions. There's not a, well, you could try this, see if it works. They're directions. It's, it's really, it's laid out. Throughout the entire book, everything we've read up until now has been a clear-cut direction on how to recover from your disease. So, And in the next paragraph, it talks about um, after, the, after the chapters on how it works and um, we agnostics, it talks about the personal stories, describes it, a man describes in his own language, from his own point of view, the way he established a relationship with God. And so after the working part of this book, after the uh, Dr. Bob's nightmare, it's all about stories about how each member in Alcoholics Anonymous 
had made a relationship with God. And in the when I first came into Overeaters Anonymous, they, we didn't have the 12 and 12, but we did have the, the Brown Book, uh, Overeaters Anonymous. Is that what it's called? Uh-huh. Yes. The Brown Book. And those were stories. So I was told when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, the program, of, the program is in the first 164 pages of the big book, and then the stories were in the brown book. And that's what, that, was those, that was my big book. And this last part of the paragraph where it says, Our hope is that many compulsive overeating men and women desperately in need will see these pages, and we believe that it is only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, Yes, I am one of them too. I must have this thing. So basically, that's the end of um, There is a Solution. And Bill is building a case why we need to accept God into our life and let him do the work. All we have to do is, he's the power source. All we have to do is work the steps. Um, And then the next, um, okay, okay. So more about alcoholism. It's on page 30, and it starts, we're going to start in the middle of the um, page. Um, we have learned. So the paragraph that says we learned. So this is step one. If you're looking for step one in the book, it's here. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This was the first step in recovery. I have to say I'm a compulsive overeater. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. Now, I don't know about you, But those were three words that were never, ever part of my vocabulary before I read this book. But the minute I heard somebody share them in my first or second meeting, somebody was sharing, and they used the words pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization, I knew, I felt exactly what they were saying. I could identify immediately with those words. They were not part of my everyday vocabulary, but I knew exactly what those people were talking about. And I felt those words down deep in my soul. And I knew I was taking a first step. And when people, when I first came into program, people would call that, that's paid, P-A-I-D, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I've paid, those are my dues. I've paid, paid in full. Um, And then in the next page, 31, this is, uh, we love this part. He talks here, um, halfway down, he says, here are some of the methods we've tried to control our food. He says, in the big book, he says, we've tried to control our drinking. But Linda and I have our own ways, Linda. Okay, so I started drinking water with lemon only. I've done the Master Cleanser, Weight Watchers, Gastric Bypass, Tequila Only, Chili Cheese Fritos and Starbucks Double Shots Lights, Hot Yoga, Walking, Running, Eating Sugar, Not Eating Sugar. I could increase the list ad infinitum. Yeah, and also... She, I'm going to take her inventory now. She oh, bought a pass to Disneyland and walks Disneyland, which is like freaking Magic Kingdom. I could do that. Okay. Uh, my, this is my list of how I, what I think I've done to control my weight. The brown rice macrobiotic diet. Fasting, AIDS. AIDS as before the disease. AIDS. The, A-Y-D-S. The, thank you. You know those little things. Okay. 
You've uh, eaten them. I Don't lie. A, I had an awesome food plan for two years. Uh, it was the corn tortilla, apple, cheese, tequila food plan. Uh, low she carbo- was very I thin. I was awesome. Uh, low carbohydrate diet, Herbalife, Ultra Slim Fast, Sego, Metrical, Lean Cuisine, De- Dexatrim, Diet Pills, Just Eating Sugar. Finally, like around 1983, I decided I'm just eating sugar. Forget protein. Forget grains. No sugar. carbs, just sugar. Um, uh, 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 okay, the How Food Plan, not eating breakfast, not eating dinner, vomiting, laxatives, compulsive exercising, antihistamines, smoking cigarettes, dancing, uh, walking, weightlifting, personal trainers. That's it. So basically, we want you to get your list. We want to make sure that when you go home tonight or this weekend, make a list. Tape it over this part of the big book so you own it. This is your big book. You own it. So, um, and you never have to do that shit again. Sorry. You never have to do that stuff again. Um, and then it asks us here at the bottom of the page, it says, are you, are you wondering if you're a compulsive overeater? Well, step over to the nearest bakery and try some controlled drinking. It actually says bar. But try some controlled drinking. Try to drink. Try to eat and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It may not take long for you to decide if you're honest with yourself about it. It may be worth a bad case of... Vomiting, diarrhea... High blood sugar... Diabetic coma... Yeah. And then on page 33, uh, a third of the way down the page, it says, once a compulsive overeater, always a compulsive overeater. And it's, it's, it's never... I've never known people to... When I see them after going to meetings, and I haven't seen them for a long time, and they don't go to meetings anymore, I ask them how they're doing. Um, fine. Fine. I'm fine. Fine. I love that. Fine is the best lie there yeah, is. Fine. I don't care who you are. You're never fine. Um, there's always more to find. There's always fantastic, great, or there's always, like, I'm really in a bad spot. So yeah. you're never fine. I ran into my old sponsor, my first sponsor. She was awesome, and um, she... Uh, I ran into her in the parking lot of Ralph's, and she was um, she couldn't stop eating Cheez-Its, and she had she was a hundred pounder. She had gone from two hundred and ten to a hundred and four. She looked awesome, and then she couldn't stop eating Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its are so not my thing, but I got to tell you, they kicked mm-hmm. her ass. And whenever I see Cheez-Its, I see a skull and crossbones because they kicked her ass. She's not in program anymore, and she I learned so much from her. She she was a fountain of wisdom. There must be no reservation of any kind or nor nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to and it book the book says alcohol. Put your sticky note there. Whatever your thing is that you think is your issue today. And you know, I've told Roxanne in the past that, you know, a couple of weeks ago it was famous Amos Cookies. When I got here, it was Smarties and Pez. Um, and Pez. But but a couple of weeks ago, every single day, I couldn't stop going to the um, vending machine because it was like, okay, I get a snack, and I get to choose what that snack is, and I think the snack should be famous, famous cookies. I don't think it should be an apple. I don't think it should be celery sticks. I've eaten more carrot sticks than any other human being she except has. for one. That I know. I know one girl in OA that's eaten more carrot sticks than I have. And so it was, and for like two days, I I, I ate famous Amos cookies and I thought, uh oh, I am powerless. Today, I am powerless over famous Amos cookies. And I had to 
call my sponsor, get accountable, and say, I'm done with those. And I've been done with them ever since. And that was a few, that was a few weeks ago where it was like, yep, I can see that that unmanageability can creep right back in. So whatever your sticky note is, it's going to change because maybe when you get here, you can't stop throwing up. But then, you know, through, through abstinence and recovery, you can't stop exercising. So your sticky note is going to change. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's alcohol. You can't put booze in your body. But for us compulsive overeaters, it's so different. It's so colorful. And we're colorful. And we're not all the same, even though we're all in the same boat. We're not all the same. So take, take what you can from this book and know that you have a sticky note that applies to you. And that sticky note may change tomorrow. And the bottom line for me is I'm not leaving. Don't leave. Everything else is, everything else is negotiable, but I'm not leaving. Um, okay. So, the, uh, page 34. Um, mm. Try leaving it alone for a year. That's a good one. Like, if when they talk about controlled drinking, you know, like go to the bar room, stop abruptly, whatever. Then he says, how about if you just try leaving it alone for a year? When I came to um, Overeaters Anonymous, I had been off all recreational sugar for 90 days on my own. I said, I'm done. I am never going to have recreational sugar again. And... On You know, I'd been abstinent. I hadn't even been abstinent. I hadn't even picked an abstinent day. I didn't know what that meant. And um, I was driving home, and I'm on the phone with my sponsor, and I said, I'm going to run over a small child. I'm going to beat somebody with a stick. I'm going to physically harm people. My husband better not be home. And she goes, why don't you have a cookie? And I thought, what? Why don't I have a cookie? She goes, look, man, you've been off sugar for 90 days, it's the only thing you've talked about for the last 30 minutes, and you think if you have a cookie, you might feel better. Why don't you try it? So, again, if you try leaving something alone that you think is your sticky note, like try not vomiting for a year, see if you can stop for good, um, that's what they're asking you to do here in the book. In the big book. If you're not willing to take the steps, just try leaving it alone for a year, see what happens. Excellent. didn't work for me without the steps. Um, okay, so um, we think few, who, we're on the um, page 34, a third of the way down. We think few to whom this book will appeal can, say, can stay abstinent anything like a year. Some will eat whatever the day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. And, you know, for me, I haven't had, uh, I haven't had glazed donuts for 26 years, but... If I did have a glazed donut, I want you to know that I'm still staying, and this is my place. So um, the, the key for me is flexibility and uh, rigidness. I'm flexible in what I eat, but I'm rigid in staying here and going to meetings. Um, this, the next part of the chapter is about um, uh, Jim's story. And there's two stories in the big book that he uses as illustrations of chronic alcoholics, and they are awesome stories. And I identify with both of them, but our time here is short, so we want you to read Jim's story and Fred's story. Jim's story, we're going to read just the italics. Basically, Jim works at a car dealership. He used to own the car dealership, except for he lost it through his alcoholism, so now he works there. That would put me over the edge right there. He has a big resentment to the current current owner. But basically, he um, drinks again, and here's the italics on page 36. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I can have a serving 
of potato chips. Right? Just a serving. It's, I mean, that, it says on the bag. It's a serving. It's a serving. The bag tells you nine, nine chips, nine Doritos is a serving. And that's a true story. If you don't believe me, go look at the Doritos. Um, so I think I can have just a serving. That's not going to hurt me. It's the same exact thing if Jim's saying, um, I can put an ounce of whiskey in my milk. It's not going to hurt me. It's going to coat my stomach. It's going to calm my nerves. So I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but felt reassured as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. I have a girlfriend in a way who gets to have, she has free range days and she gets to have once a month, she gets a free range day. She does anything she wants with food, but her rule is she can have as much crap as she wants as she wants, but she has to have an equal amount of protein. I love that. Yeah. So, and I always think, oh, I mean, this totally applies to me today, to my abstinence. Like, I'm just going to have the one bag of Famous Amos cookies. It's a serving, 220 calories. I can tell you exactly how many calories, how many grams of fat. It's a serving according to the government. They make you put it on there. If the government says it's a serving, it must be a serving. And so, you know, and, and when I ate the, the first bag, I thought, this probably isn't a good idea. But the experiment went so well that I ordered another. The experiment went so well, I had another bag the next day. So basically what happens is he goes to the asylum. He goes to the asylum. Like after having this. So there's more than just the two whiskeys in the milk. More happened. But the very last paragraph yeah. says he had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. If only I have a serving. Okay. So that's Jim. That's Jim's story. The next story that we come across is Fred. Fred is an accountant, and he goes to Washington, D.C., and he fancies himself. He thinks he's all that. He makes us some um, presentation to some agency, and he goes back to the hotel, and he thinks to himself there's more italics somewhere. Here we go. Mm -hmm. But the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will, absolutely un will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. The book tells us time and time again, self-knowledge avails us nothing. Because Fred knew he had a problem with booze. And so he, so, and people met with him. Some, uh, Bill and a couple other people met with Fred when he was in the asylum of the first of the uh, drunk tank the first time. And they said to him, here's the deal, Fred. You're powerless over alcohol. You need to lay off the stuff. And he said, I, he's, I, he likes himself. He, yeah. he is so attracted. And it says right here in the middle of this paragraph at page 39, he is so attractive a personality that he makes friends with everyone. If ever there was to be a successful businessman, it is Fred. Fred. To all appearance, he is a stable, well-balanced individual, yet he is alcoholic. And so what happens is Fred did not – he failed to do step one and two, and we'll find out what happens here. He basically um, – Again, he thinks self-knowledge will fix it. He went to, he went to ho the hotel and dressed leisurely for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to my mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. This is a guy who's done time in rehab. That was all, nothing more. Now, prior to this, he also is saying that he's, he's, got, he's got confidence. I got this. I got this Self handled. Self-knowledge. Self-knowledge. I know now what my problem is. I've got it. I've got it figured out. And 
for like and when it he says here um he has every right to be self-confident that it would only be a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard when i read keeping on guard i just get on the scale i just get on the scale if that scale doesn't move i'm on guard if that scale doesn't move i'm on guard if the scale doesn't move i'm on guard i know what i need to do i know what i need to do i have self-knowledge I just need to not gain weight. That's my issue. I need to maintain. And then I cross the threshold. So and that so after he goes into the dining room, he decides to have a drink, all hell breaks loose. He go he's gone for three days. And he comes back, he gets back, put it back in the hospital, and he says here Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time I had not thought of the consequences at all. So, basically what Fred's telling us is when, the, when Bill and, and uh, whoever came to talk to Fred after this, he, he, he's told them this story. He said, I didn't even try. I just thought, I'm having a cocktail. And then he said, I saw that willpower. It's on the um, first paragraph in page 42. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in these strange mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. So he's talking about step one. He's so, this, remember, this is a book that can get people sober without any other alcoholics. You can just have this sent to you in 1939, 1940, and you read, you may not identify with Jim, you may not identify with Bill, but you may identify with Fred if you're all that accountant. <laughs> and you think you're pretty special, you may identify with him, and he. this is his first step. Ugh. It was a crushing blow. Yeah. The two, the two members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned. I didn't like it. Like, they were, they were smug, you know? These guys were like, hey, 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 we got you. They knew what happened. They knew. They knew that, they knew that Fred was going to get drunk because he was full of self-knowledge and did not want what they had. So these two members came to see him. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, and they asked me, there's two questions here. If I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time, here's his first step. I had to concede to both propositions. I'm a, am, I, am I a compulsive overeater? Has my life become unmanageable? Yes. I had to concede to both propositions when I got here. So, And then the last, the last of the page, the bottom of the page, it says, by the... Um, by the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process, he's talking about the process of the 12 steps and being a part of, of AA, I had the curious feeling that my alcoholic condition was relieved in, and in, as it in fact proved to be. So basically, he started the process. He started doing the steps with Bill. He did step one up here, and he had the sense right at the very beginning that he was going to be okay, that he was never going to use again. Quite as important as the discovery that spiritual principles would solve all my problems. So not only would he not have to drink, but that the steps and finding a relationship with God would solve all his problems. And I have since been brought into a way of living infinitely more satisfying and, I hope, more useful than the life I lived before. My old manner of life was by no means a bad one, but I would not exchange its best moments for the worst I have now, I would not go back to it even if I could. And then at the very bottom of the page, the last paragraph, it says, Once more, 
The compulsive overeater at certain times has no effect of mental defense against the first bite, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. It's, he li- he you got to get a God. He, yeah, he just lays it out there. That's all. And then the next chapter is we agnostics, and um, we are right kind of time. sort of on time. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going to happen is we have to surrender this room at 3.45 because there's another program that starts in here at 4. So we are going to blast through until 3.45. We have a couple handouts that we didn't make enough, but we can share. And um, we're going to go through we agnostics and um, uh, how it works, and then we'll be we're going to go to through to page 30, 63. 60, 63. Yeah, 63. So, Miss Linda. Um, okay, so in the middle of the first paragraph, if when you honestly want to, you cannot you cannot quit entirely, or if when eating you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably a compulsive overeater. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So just so you know, when, you, when I came into program, my first sponsor took me to this page and said, if you honestly want to and you find you cannot quit entirely eating glazed donuts, or if when eating glazed donuts you have little control over the, whether you eat one or a dozen, then you may be a compulsive overeater. And the only solution is a spiritual experience. To one who feels he is an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. But to continue as he is means disaster, especially if, an, if he is a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not easy alternatives to face. So how bad of an alcoholic death? See, that's the big catch for me. So how bad is the death going to be? No, wait. Let's talk about it. How bad of a compulsive eating death? If if I have to, and I'm going to say, if I have to, if I become diabetic and I have to put um, insulin in my body every day. Is that bad? That might might be my deal breaker. That's not a deal breaker for me. She'll do it. I won't. But that's my deal breaker. One of the wonderful things about here, this about this program and the big book, is it gives us solutions so we don't have to pick the alcoholic death, the compulsive overeater's death, because as we all know, it's not pretty, and it's freaking long. An alcoholic's death, you can have a DUI and crash and die and take half the population with you, and you're dead. But a compulsive overeater's death is freaking long and painful. And the, self, and the self-hatred involved is so massive that it becomes, like, more suicidal. So um, that's okay. So he's, this chapter is called We Agnostics. And the part that is wonderful about this is Bill named this chapter We Agnostics. He was not an agnostic. And he didn't believe that most people were agnostics. He believed that if he wrote the title as We Agnostic people would not not read it. Like if he had wrote, We Believers, I'm done. I'm not reading that crap. Nope. I don't like, I can remember people, I love my JW friend, but I can remember Watchtower people coming, if there's, I'm sorry if I'm offending people, walk, the people Watchtower coming to my mom and dad's house and my mom saying, get away from the windows, I'll see you. <laughs> like it was like bad. And I all I can say is, the title of this chapter 
is says so much about he's sneaky. Bill is very sneaky. He's saying, "Come and read this. You'll agree. You're agnostic like me. We'll we'll show them that really God isn't that, and that we'll just show them." It's not that and in scary. fact, it should be called change. This this chapter should be called change. Because change your mind is what is going to happen here. He's going to talk. He's going to convince us that we need to change our mind. And this is this again. We talked about this before we started our, the first half of this session. This this is just my opinion, my experience, and having read this chapter countless times, um, I will tell you that now I believe that this chapter is what separates me from someone who doesn't recover and makes me a person who has the ability to recover. And it's found here in this chapter. So that's my experience. Um, We're going to go right to lack of power. Lack of power. That was our dilemma. I need power, man. I need it. It's in the middle of page 45, the top of page. Lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be, here's some italics, a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how are we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is all about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And it's not going to give you the power to solve your problem. It's going to give me nothing. It's the God solves my problem. I have not the got the power. This is about God solving my problem. This mean, that means that we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And that means, of course that we're going to talk about God. Yes, I know. We were avoiding it, but we are here we are. It's at the bottom of page 45, <laughs> the uh, middle of the paragraph. To others, the word God brought up a particular idea of him which, with which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. Perhaps he rejected this particular uh, conception because it seemed inadequate. With that rejection, we imagined that we had abandoned the, idea, the God idea Entirely, We were bothered with the thought that faith and dependence upon a power greater than ourselves was somewhat weak, even cowardly. So he's addressing what we had these pre-existing beliefs about. You know, a belief in God was a, uh, was a belief that was conceding that we were weak. Right. Down the very bottom, at the bottom paragraph, um, do you want me to much, found, you or much, much to our relief... We discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to effect a contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe, underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction Provided we took other simple steps, we found that God does not make too hard of terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding. To those who earnestly seek, it is open, we believe, to all men. We're no longer powerless. Right here in this chapter, Bill and the first 100 members of Alcoholics Anonymous are telling you, you are no longer powerless. A new power is flowing in, and this is it. And um, I, like the, I like the list of, like, creative intelligence, spirit of the universe. I have a friend who, um, who 
hated God as much as I did. And oh no, she hated God more than I did when she came in. And um, she had a unicorn named Jonathan. Sherry. Oh my God. She oh my had God. a unicorn named Jonathan, and her unicorn thing. This I think it was ceramic. It wasn't even plush. Um, was her higher power like? She said, all right, fine, I'm going to turn everything over to Jonathan. And you hear people talking about turning it over to the doorknob, turning it over to the waves of the oceans, whatever. Pick it. It's your deal. Yes, and she's sober 26, 26 years. Yeah. Um, and Jonathan, she, Jonathan's no longer her higher power. Right. And when we, so at the top of page 47, when therefore we speak to you of God. So when we say God, we mean of your own conception of God. That's what we're saying. We're not saying our God. We're saying whatever your God is, that's what we're talking about. So don't get your hair in a twizzy and get crazy because I got crazy when I was here. I was like, no way do I want God. Not your God. No, but but it, it was really quick and painless when I realized, oh, I can have a unicorn named Jonathan if I want. I mean, that wasn't that didn't work for me, but I got a God of my own conception and that's worked. At the start, this is all we needed to commence spiritual growth to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood him. Afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things which seemed entirely out of reach. That was growth. But we wished to grow. But if we wished to grow, we had to begin somewhere. So we used our own conception, however limited it was. So find a God personal to you that you can do business with. It's you and your God. It's your God that you get to do business with, not my God. I love the God that I do business with today. He thinks I'm awesome. So find a God that thinks you're awesome. We needed to ask ourselves one short question. Do I now believe or am I willing to believe there is a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on the way. It has been repeatedly proven among us upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. I want to say here that for me, this is the step two, being willing to believe in something. And so for me, at first, when, I, when they said, okay, you had to get a God, you have to believe in something. And when it came to OA, it was like, okay, so the group had to be my higher power because you guys were doing something that I was not capable of doing, getting honest, staying willing, and opening my mind to ideas that were going to keep me off the roller coaster of diets and insanity that I was living on. And so it was like, okay, a group of dieters. That's my, you know, a lot of people in AA, they always say a group of drunks, but you know, G-O-D, group of dieters. That was my God when I first came to OA, just in a very short period of time, like that blew up into something I never imagined, but that for like the first week, the first day, whatever it was, that was as good as it could get. As pissed off as I was, I kept coming back because I knew you had something that I needed. Okay, and then we're going to skip to um, page 50. Um, we're going to read a promise of step two, and it's down the, bo- the bottom third of the page. Yes. Um, where The paragraph flat- starts with here, and so it says, um, They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude towards that power and to do certain simple things, There has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. More promises. 
Page 50, yes. The very last paragraph. Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves to take a certain attitude towards that power and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. This chapter is, for me, the most powerful chapter in this book. And one of the, one of the um, constraints on this workshop is that we don't have enough time. But normally, Linda and I would basically read this chapter all the way through, plus give you our thoughts. We can't do that because we want to get to um, how it works. And, but, we really encourage you to read this because this is a wonderful, um, he gives so many good, good examples. Basically, he says, you know, um, we believe in science. We believe in logic. He, the, he, um, science and logic, and, and um, he talks about electrons rotating around making steel girders and steel girders building tall buildings that are unmovable. And how how is that possible? And he talks about electricity. He talks about um, the, the Wright, Wright brothers. brothers and how they believed that they could build a, a, a something that flew. They their belief was their the power. And he, anyway, he gives lots of great examples of the existence of God. Basically, this book the chapter is called We Agnostics, but really it's about God. Right, and when when they're talking about all those things that Roxanne mentioned, the electrons and the and the Kitty Hawk and all that stuff, they're they're speaking to you on an on an intellectual level. They're speaking to someone who can read the words that are written on the page, and they're saying you have all this mental open mindedness. He goes on to um, page fifty two, and he says, um, and now remember this was written in nineteen thirty eight, nineteen thirty nine. Nobody had been to the moon yet. That nobody had been to the moon when they wrote this book. And he says, but in most fields, our generations has witnessed complete liberation of our thinking. Show any longshoreman, so show any sailor on the street, um, a Sunday supplement describing a proposal to explore the moon by means of a rocket. And he will say, I bet they do it. Because we were... We had all kinds of ment- – we're intellectual people. We have all kinds of mental open-mindedness. And so what, the, what this chapter, the change chapter that Roxanne likes to call it, is about spiritual open-mindedness. If you can have an open mind to the fact that there is – you know, like I have an example written in here. I believe sitting here today that – if not my daughter, who's 23, then most certainly my granddaughter will be able to afford a weekend trip to orbit the moon in her lifetime. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. Just like I can take a cruise around the world, I believe that in my daughter's lifetime or in the lifetime of my grandchild, that taking a trip around the moon will be just like Roxanne and I going down to Cabo for the weekend. I believe that. I have that mental open-mindedness. So if I have such mental open-mindedness for things intellectual, why can I not develop a spiritual open-mindedness to something able to change me? And that's exactly what he's pitching. And Bill is a promoter. He is a, he is a wheeler dealer. So he's basically pitching this. He's wanting you to buy it. So he's mm-hmm. giving us lots of examples about how this is going to be great. You're going to love it. And um, and then we have the bedevilments and the do we should oh, we just the, move right on? We do you want to read? I, I think reading the bedevilments and this is um, it's in in the middle of page fifty two. There's a paragraph that says we had to humbly ask ourselves. So the bedevilments. Um, when people talk about that, this is like this is like big book 
nerddom. Right. If people talk about the bedevilments, they're talking about this paragraph, and it's, we were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of, of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Wasn't not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we could see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. So again, you're open-minded to all this intellectual open-minded ideas, but when we start talking about the stuff that's inside, the personal relationship issues, the misery, the depression, the thoughts of suicide, aren't those thoughts more important? Aren't those things more important to you and your survival than whether or not my kid's going to take a flight around the moon one day? So he's just telling us to keep our mind open. Um, when we next paragraph, when we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance on the spirit of the universe, we had a, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. That kind of says it all. The, and then the middle of the next paragraph of the next page, we're on page fifty three now. When we are we talking about yeah. when mm-hmm. when we became alcoholics crushed or compulsive readers crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either god is everything or else he is nothing god either is or he isn't what was your choice to be so basically remember this chapter is called we agnostics but right there in the middle of the page he basically is saying God, God either is everything or he's nothing. And we already know what Bill thinks. Right. Do so, you believe? It's, it's about what you believe. And it talks about, the, even in this a couple paragraphs, it says, logic is great stuff. We liked it. We still like it. And, and I still like it. I still want to think about the trips around the moon. You know? But, um, and then I always go, oh, but I'm not ready to drink your Kool-Aid. You know? When, I, when it comes to Jim my spirit. Right. The Jim Jones Kool-Aid. As yeah. opposed to regular Kool-Aid. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, or sugar-free Kool-Aid versus not sugar-free Kool-Aid. But you know what I mean? It's like, wait, I'm willing, I'm willing to think about that. i got to think about this stuff. I have to open my heart. So he's talking about being open-minded here. So on page 55, second paragraph, third paragraph. Actually, we were fooling ourselves for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity if you had a crappy childhood by by um, pomp cuz you're important yeah by worship of other things i'm a buddhist but in other but in some form or another or other it is there for faith in a power greater than ourselves and mirac- um, and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself you can you can you can go to any one of your lives, I'm sure, and find a miracle. You can go to any one of your lives and go, wow, that was a real miracle. Whether it was coming to OA or, you know, whether it was your family member surviving brain cancer. Everybody has some form of miracle. And that's the down deep inside every one of us. There was the fundamental idea of God. That's what Bill's talking so about. So in the bottom of the third paragraph, it says, we found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis... It is, all, it is only there that he may be found. It was just so with us. So basically, now he's saying, even though he's in the chapter of we agnostics, now he's saying where we can find God. So um, it, is in, it is in the great reality deep down within us. 
We can only clear the ground a bit. So here, Bill's saying this is, we're just, we're just clearing away the brush so that you can see what's really on the ground. We can only clear the ground a bit. It's our, if our testimony helps sweep away any prejudice, enables you to think honestly, encourages you to search diligently within yourself, then if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway. So they've cleared the ground. Now you've got to make a decision. Yeah, and so that basically, still the chapter that we ignore, it's really, it's called change. Change. Um, so, and he's giving some examples of the, in the next page, 56, he's talking about how um, somebody was arguing about whether or not there was a God. And I just, it's best if I just don't argue. It's best if I just buy the package. Um, Italics, who yeah. are you to say there is no God? This man, the last paragraph on page 56, this man recounts that he tumbled out of his bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by the conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty, majesty of a great tide at flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in the conscious companionship of his creator. In and the very the, last paragraph yeah, on page 57. Right. To the man, the, revel, the revelation was sudden. To this man, sorry. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grow into it more slowly. But he has come to all who have earnestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. So basically, we agnostics is about change and finding God. And then the next, so we're just going to go to two pages, three pages. I'm going to pass out. We are on um, chapter 5, How, how it, works, it Works, page 58. And I didn't know how many people would be here, so you guys are going to have to share. We just have um, a, I printed out the original manuscript from the big book. So when Bill wrote this, he wrote this part of the big book in 20 minutes. He wrote it without thinking. He wrote it without um, anybody else helping him. And then they changed it, which is great. But this is for, um, the, you can find this on the internet. Just type in um, original form, uh, the original form of how it works. Yeah. And really, just before we start reading, since Roxanne's going to pass that out, I want to I share with you my second step experience. Um, where when he reads here, in a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by the conviction of the of the presence of God, it poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. Um, I did not take my second step. I did not feel my second step until I was in the middle of reading my fifth step to my sponsor. And um, when I think about that, I think about the grace that it took to get and keep me here all the way to that point. You know, people say all the time, fake it till you make it. And that's what had to work for me. Like I didn't have like this big uh, emotional upheaval that they talk about, but I did in the middle of my fifth step when I was reading all those dirty, horrible, rotten things. I knew I was never, ever, ever going to tell another human being. And she sat there not judging me, listening to me, nodding, and it was in that very moment that I started to cry, and I knew that God loved me. I knew whatever I thought God was, God loved me, and I had felt that second-step power in that very moment. So it may not happen to you until you get to your fifth step. It may not happen to you until you get to your 12th step, 
But I promise you, if you do what's outlined in this book, it will happen. So read along with us in the big book, or you can read the ones. That you'll, if you have one of these sheets, you'll, it's highlighted, the change. But it's a profound change. I'm not saying it should be like this now. I don't think it should be like this now. I'm just saying what it was like, okay? Chapter 5, How It Works. The original manuscript from 1938. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our directions. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a way of life which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. If you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to follow directions. At some of these, you may balk. You may think you can find an easier, softer way. We doubt if you can. With all, these, with all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go. Absolutely. Remember that you are dealing with alcohol. Cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for you. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. You must find him now. Half measures will avail you nothing. You stand at the turning point. Throw yourself under his protection and care with complete abandon. Now we think you can take it. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as your program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care and direction of a God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely willing that God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly, on our knees, asked him to remove our shortcomings, holding nothing back. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make complete amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual experience as the result of this course of action, we tried to carry this message to others especially alcoholics, and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. You may exclaim, what an order. I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one, um, no one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that, you are, that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down here are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description to the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after and before and after are designed to sell you three pertinent ideas. A, 
that you are alcoholic and cannot manage your own life. B, that probably no human power can relieve your alcoholism. And three, that God can and will. If you are not convinced on these vital issues, you ought to reread the book to this point or else throw it away. If you are convinced, you are now at step three, which is that you make a decision to turn your will and your life over to God as you understand him. Just what do we mean by that and just what do we do? So now we are on page 60 and down at the bottom it says, and just what do we do? And then after this, um, we're just going to read what's in the book now. Okay. The first requirement is that we, that being convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. <laughs> on that basis, we are almost always in co- collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the, ba- and the rest of the players in his own way. If his, if his arrangements will only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, he is more likely to have varied traits. What usually happens, the show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself even more. He becomes on the next occasion, still more demanding or gracious, as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit him, admitting he may be somewhat at fault. He is sure that other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? So basically, switch, go down to the bottom of, this, of the paragraph. Is he not, even in his best moments, a, pro, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? And in a lot of my best moments, I'm a producer of confusion rather than harmony. The next page, 62, second paragraph. Selfishness, self-centeredness. That, we think, is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation. But we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. I just am going to read that again for myself. So our troubles are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic compulsive overeater is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't know. He doesn't think so. Above everything, the compulsive overeater must, rid, must be rid of the selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. You need God. I need God. That's what he's saying right here. We need God. God makes that possible. And then the last paragraph on the page. Um, this is not the how and the why of it. So here it is. This is step three. If you're looking for step three or the promise of step three in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, this is it. This is the how and why of it. 
First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that in the hereafter, in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father, and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. We um, Okay, so we're now at the top of page 63. This is right above the third step prayer. So this, la- this paragraph starts, When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. And the position they're talking about is, when I become God's employee, when I work for God, when I do what God's direction is, remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed. If we kept close to him and performed his work well, established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today tomorrow and the hereafter we were reborn okay and i want to say one more time we i i walked around for years going i'm powerless i'm powerless i'm powerless and somehow through the change of the steps and reading and read and that's why we study that's why this is a text that's why we study it i realized i'm no longer powerless a new it says right here as we felt new power flow in. So I don't get to say anymore, I'm powerless. I have a power. I have a power greater than myself. It's in me. God gives me that power. So if you're still powerless, it's time to do steps one, two, and three again. As we felt the new power flow in. And I agree with that comment. And the great prayer for this is not, I don't know even know if it's approved away prayer, but it's the uh, prayer of St. Francis. It's on the 12 and 12. AA is 12 and 12. It's on page 99 and it's uh, make me an, a channel of thy peace. And I picture a tube. I picture a, a lifeline like a scuba gear, you know, tube mm-hmm. where I can breathe his air. And, um, you know, we, we're going to end with just reading the um, third step prayer. And if you know the prayer, say it along with us. Many of us said to what our makers ed- as we understood him, God, God. I offer offer myself to thee, to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. Of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life, may I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready. Though... I always think, really, don't think about it. Just do it. (laughs) Um, And then uh, I just wanted to say thank you for the opportunity to do this today. We have a couple things, a couple more things that we want to share. We have seven minutes. So exciting, seven minutes. This has been so exciting for me and I know for Linda to be here. But the six weeks of planning and um, studying beforehand rocketed me one more time into the fourth dimension. I feel... uh, so close to my creator and I'm so grateful to be here and I'm so grateful to be a compulsive overeater and a member of Overeaters Anonymous and Linda made this awesome chart that outlines the um, big book and it's um, 
we didn't make enough copies because we thought there would be like 10 people here. So we're really excited. There's 30. Um, I have 30 oh here. Oh, my so, gosh. Good um, job. I only yeah. made 10. So, and it she basically, has more faith than I have. It, if you go back to the table of contents, um, it, this basically is a, a breakdown of the steps and the, the table of contents and, and what you're gonna, how you're going to outline um, each step through the table of contents. Um, so if you want to grab one of those, you can. Before you go. Before you go. And then I have the chapter 5, the original chapter 5. Here's if somebody another one. needs one of those. You can have one and of those. And then on page 59 of your big book, one of the things that, I, that was significant to me, because when you get to the 12th step, we practice these principles in all of our affairs. What principles? i got to practice the steps and everything I do. There are spiritual principles that go along with each and every one of the steps, spiritual principles behind the ideas that are outlined in the steps. So if you don't know what the spiritual principles are, or if you want to write the spiritual principles in your book the way they were described by Bill W. and Dr. Bob, um, for number one, the spiritual principle behind number one is honesty. The spiritual principle behind number two, step two, is hope. Step three, faith. Step four, courage. Step five, integrity. Step six, willingness. Step seven, humility. Step eight, brotherly love. Step nine, justice. Step 10, perseverance. Step 11, spiritual awareness. Step 12, service. Those are all spiritual principles. Those are the, pra- those are the practicing principles in all of our affairs. So, um, and I can read those again if you want later after. Ooh, oh, just do it now? Okay. okay. Step one, honesty. Step two, hope. Step three, faith. Step four, courage. Step five, integrity. Step six, willingness. Step seven, humility. Step eight, brotherly love. Step nine, justice. Step ten, perseverance. Step eleven, spiritual awareness. Step twelve, service. My name is Linda Brown. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I am so grateful for the opportunity to have done this. And I want to thank my friend Roxanne, who forced me to do it with her. (laughs) And I'm Roxanne. I'm a compulsive overeater and an alcoholic, and I thank you all for being here. Now we're gonna do we hold hands? Yeah. Wait, we have to read the format. There's a whole meeting format. I'm sorry. Hold it. Hold it. We got excited now. Okay. So that's all the time we have for sharing. It's now time to close the session. You don't get to share. Sorry. Um, Thank you. Thank us. Thank you. Um, if you enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tapes table to get a copy of the session or any other sessions. All workshops and main speakers events are being recorded and are available on CD or has an electronic download. The OA, pro- so we're going to join hands and say the OA promise. I put my hand in yours. Does, hopefully, it, does everybody know it? I can, I okay, can, no, we're but, not going to do that. Let's do, oh. a, let's do a prayer that everybody knows. We can do the okay. serenity prayer. Okay, how about if I read this OA promise really quick? Okay. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to read it for you. Okay. Oh, the OA promise. I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what well, we, we could, could never, never do, do alone. alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must each depend on our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for power and strength greater than ours. As we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Okay, so I can't remember that. I know. I, even though we'll I used close. to say it all the time, we'll close We're with, close with this serenity, serenity prayer. prayer. We'll come down there.
do you do that? We just did. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 